want to invite you to please rise for the reading of God's Word. Our sermon text this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Our words are powerful. Recently, uh, through the internet, I have become aware of these two guys. Uh, one's name is Hafthor Bjornsson, and the other's name is Eddie Hall. I don't know if you've ever heard of these guys, but they are uh, some of the world's strongest men. Uh, they have been, for the last 10 years, battling back and forth for the title of world's strongest man and uh, claiming it at different times. So, Eddie Hall is the guy on this side, my left, your right. Man, that's tough to do. Um, he trained really hard to break the deadlifting record, and he lifted 500 kilograms, which is like 1,100 pounds. And so the guy on the other side, he trained really hard, and he lifted 501 kilograms to break the record. After one of their championships, uh, Thor the guy doing this, refused to shake the other one's hand. And later he said it was because the other guy had cheated when he won. Now that word, cheated, it did not rest, it did not sit well with Eddie. And for years he continued to talk about it. In fact, three years after the fact, he was still uploading videos to YouTube to try to prove that he did not cheat. Well, it finally reached the peak uh, point of escalating this year when the two of them announced that they were both going to retire from strongman competitions so that they could become boxers, so they could fight each other in the ring. And so what you're looking at right here is both of them after they have lost over a hundred pounds so that they can fight each other and settle it with their fists. These two guys were the strongest men in the world. They could each lift over a 1,000 pounds without being injured, and yet one word took them both out. Words are powerful. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Our words are powerful. And what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 is that out of all the people on earth, the followers of Christ need to be the people who know most about the power of their words. Our ability to communicate with each other, our ability to speak, is a unique gift. And if we use it wisely, it can change the world for good. But if we're not careful, our words can break us, and they can break down everyone around us. So today as we look at this passage, I want us to see Three simple things. I want us to look at first the unique power of speech. 
the destructive effects of speech. And then finally, the Christian's use of speech. All right, so let's just talk quickly about the unique power of speech. Scripture has a lot to say about what we say. In the book of Proverbs, it says that the tongue has the power of life and death. It says beautiful things like the lips of the righteous nourish many. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. But on the other hand, James tells us that the tongue is a fire, a world of evil. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, Scripture is telling us that our words are powerful. They can do great harm. They can do wonderful things. Why is that? Have you ever thought about that? Why is it that our words are so powerful? Why is it that a word spoken to you as a child can stay with you for the rest of your life? Well, the Bible tells us it's because we as human beings are made in the image of God. We are made to be like God in certain ways, and our speech is a part of that. See, God is a God who speaks. God is a God who speaks, and when he speaks, he speaks with power. The first words of the Bible, you remember, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did he do it? Verse 3, it says, God said, Let there be light. And there was light. The theological term for that, theologians call that a speech act. It's when God speaks and it immediately makes something happen. It's his speaking produces reality. Or maybe you remember this. We just studied the Ten Commandments not too long ago. Do you remember that passage that God spoke the Ten Commandments to the people. They heard him speaking, and how did they respond at the end of that? In verse 19 of Exodus 20, the people said to Moses, enough, they said, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. God's speech is powerful. He doesn't have any empty words. They're not wasted And Genesis also tells us that we are made in the image of that God. We're like that God. Genesis chapter 1, it says, God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That idea, the image of God, it's the name of those special characteristics that set you and I, it set human beings apart from everybody else. So that means the image of God, it means things like our ability to reason. It's our ability to perceive the existence of God and to know God and to please God. And it is also our ability to speak rationally. That's something that's unique to people, right? Only people have rational speech. I'm sure you've, you've probably seen videos of, you know, gorillas on YouTube who can do sign language, right? We remember... 
Lassie telling him to get Timmy out of the well. <laughs> but beyond that, the, that's about the limits of animals. Human beings are very different than that. We can communicate complex ideas. We can communicate our emotions. We can share our deepest thoughts with one another. And so, that piece of us is a reflection of our creator. That bit of us is a small, tiny reflection of the creative and the destructive power of God's own speech coming out through our mouths. Now, like I said, it's just a reflection. No, nobody can create something out of nothing. We can't speak anything into existence. But we all know that we do have the power with our words to, to spark life in someone else. We can produce good in somebody's life just by speaking to them in a way that's going to last them forever. Something they'll, that will change them forever. Or with just a few hurtful words, we can do lifelong damage to someone else. Our words, in fact, we have so much power that, that sometimes we don't know the effect we've had until many years later, or maybe never, unless somebody tells us. Isn't that crazy? You can change the course of someone's life with your words and never even know about it. So that's the first point. It's a quick one. But our speech is powerful because we're made in the image of God. We have a reflection of his glory in our ability to speak. And because our speech is so powerful... It's extremely important that we understand the destructive effects our words can have. So this is point two, the destructive effects of our speech. That's the problem, right? Because of sin, unfortunately, we are tempted to use our words in a way to hurt people instead of to heal them. Verse 29, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Paul says, he's speaking to Christians here. This is a letter written to the church, and he says, if you're in Christ, if you call yourself a Christian and bear his name on your life, then you should use that power wisely, the power of your words. You need to steward it. You need to care for it. And he uses this word, unwholesome, to describe our speech. He says, let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. That's an interesting word. It, it has with it this idea of rancid, of rotten. If you picture like an apple where, you know, all, it's got all the bruises on it and maybe like a worm crawling through it, you know, that's the picture of, of the unwholesome talk. It's this rancid, rotten, poisonous kind of fruit. And that is how Jesus talks about our speech as well. Maybe you remember that passage uh, from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus talks about our words being like fruit, good fruit or bad fruit. He says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. 
Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And Paul's teaching that same idea right here in Ephesians 4. He says, watch out. Watch yourself. Watch what is coming out of your mouth. Make sure that it is not rancid fruit. And what is the rancid fruit? Well, he, he lists examples. He, he says bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. He says if you find that kind of stuff pouring out of your life, Pouring out of your mouth, well, it's not just that you're rude. The problem is not just that you need to learn your manners. He says it's a sign that there's something much deeper going on. It's a sign that something in your heart is wrong. The letter to Ephesians, you might remember, the whole point of this book is about unity in Christ. It's this mystery that has finally been revealed to us. God's big plan for all of history is that he's going to unite all things under Christ. Things in heaven, things on earth. He's going to make them one under Christ. And so that means if you are in Christ, if you call Christ your Savior, well, then your life is going to reflect that. Your life is going to produce the kind of fruit that brings that kind of unity in the world. Not division, not conflict, not gossip, not slander, not ungodly criticism or, or complaining. That's the rotten fruit. Compare it to the good fruit, the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe you remember that list, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So if you're a Christian here this morning... This is just a, a good opportunity for us to pause and ask us the simple question, what kind of fruit is my life producing? What kind of fruit is coming out of my mouth? Actually, a better thing to do, rather than just sitting there and contemplating it on your own, I'd love to challenge you that when you leave this place, maybe to get lunch or whatever, ask somebody else. Ask someone else in your life. What, do, what kind of speech do you hear from me? What kind of fruit do you hear when I speak to you? Are my words life-giving to you? Are my words healing you? Are they building you up? Or are my words destructive? Have they been tearing you down? Now, the answer to that question might be painful, but it's going to be a gift. Years ago, when I was serving as a missionary overseas, I, was, I spent a lot of time with these two women who were on my team. And before that, I had just lived in a big, rowdy house full of guys. And I, I remember they sat me down uh, on a couch one day, and they said, Logan, you are rude. You are sarcastic. You are joking all the time, and you know what? It hurts our feelings. You might not think it's a big deal, but we're, we are confronting you to let you know 
that the way you speak to us does not come across in a loving way. And I remember that, being blindsided by that. But it was such a gift to me. And, you know, it turned out to be one of a countless number (laughs) of events just like that over the history of my life. But these moments when people out of love told me something that I couldn't see about myself. We need to examine our speech. We need to be careful of the fruit that we're producing. But we can't stop there. That's not the only thing we need to examine. When Paul wrote this letter, speaking was pretty much the only way to communicate. Occasionally, you might get a letter in the mail. Very rarely, you would come across a fully written scroll. But speaking was mostly the way you would talk to somebody, but not today, right? I think today, if Jesus were preaching to us, he might say, out of the overflow of the heart, the thumbs type, right? Verse 31 has that funny word. It says, get rid of all brawling. You know, I don't know too many of us in this room known for brawling in public, at least not anymore, right? I know a few of you out there, I know you have some reputations that you've left behind, but now we don't have a lot of people known for brawling in public. But when I look online, it's a different story sometimes. You know, some of us, we have an online presence that's not a whole lot different from, you know, breaking a beer bottle <laughs> on the bar stool and saying, you know, who wants to go down? Who wants to throw down? It's not that we're less holy online than we are when you meet us in real life. It's just that we're less inhibited, right? We're the same people, but behind the safety of a screen, we're a little more bold to show what's really down inside of us. This verse, it's not just about what we say. It could say, let no unwholesome posts come out of our apps. No, let no unwholesome emails Come out of our inboxes. Let no unwholesome texts come out of our phones. When you rattle off that angry email at your HOA board (laughs) or your neighbor or your pastor or your coworker, do you ever stop to ask the question, what kind of fruit is on display in this correspondence? Not do I have a good reason, (laughs) not am I justified in my feelings about this, but what kind of fruit is on display? Is it the fruit of the Spirit? Or is it the fruit of sin? Is it that rancid, unwholesome, rotten fruit of your rebellious heart? Are you showing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness to your neighbor? Are you building them up? Well, if you're not, then Jesus says, instead of clicking send, you should repent. And you should ask God to produce in you fruit for his glory. And maybe you think I'm taking it too far. But this is not a small thing. Did you hear what verse 30 said? (laughs) 
about unwholesome talk. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It says, when we behave this way, when we speak to one another this way, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And of course we do, because the Spirit, His whole purpose is to make us one in Christ. His whole purpose is to unite us and to, to bring union. And so when our lives are dividing people, breaking people up, when we're creating division, we're doing the work of the devil himself. And unfortunately, we're all kind of guilty here. I don't think there's any of us who could stand up and say, I have lived a life completely free from unhealthy anger. There's nobody who could say they haven't allowed their bitterness to seep into their lives and flow out in their words. We've all said things to hurt our spouses, to hurt our friends, to hurt our neighbors, our coworkers, our children, our parents. Instead of doing what Paul tells us to do, instead of building people up, we have presented ourselves to the world as combative, as petty, as impatient, as unwilling to understand people who disagree with us. Christ said we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. But we've wounded them with our words. So what, do we, what should we do? Well, that brings us to the third point. I want to talk about the Christian use of speech. So, the first couple of verses talk about all these things we need to stop. The bad things we shouldn't do. But verse 32 picks up with things we should add. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Instead of the rotten fruit of a sinful tongue, our lives, he says, should display kindness and compassion to each other. Now, that's not too complicated, right? Compassion, that word from compassion, uh, it has this idea of intestines. <laughs> it means like understanding another person from the gut, really seeking to, to know how they're feeling. It means to identify with another person. To make an effort to know where they're coming from. We should be compassionate. But if you're anything like me, sometimes it's hard to be compassionate. Especially when somebody's really gotten on uh, the wrong side of you, right? It's hard to have compassion on someone. But one really helpful tool that we have in our arsenal when we can't find compassion is just to be curious. Something that I call holy curiosity. It means that rather than assuming you understand what someone has to say and what they think, you ask questions. Pursuing that compassion so that it might come. Instead of assuming what, what they mean, to be curious and find out. Not too long ago, a friend of mine got 
one of those angry emails from someone in his church. And he read this email, and he was instantly offended. And the more he read it, the angrier he got. And he told me that in his mind, he built up this whole story behind why this person wrote the email, what they were thinking. And, and he was getting ready to, to write up back to them an email that started off with something like, how dare you? But in that moment, he, the Holy Spirit convicted him. And he decided he would, was not going to respond until he could see that brother in person. And when they sat down, rather than starting off with, how dare you, he just asked the question. I'm, I'm curious, I'm, I'm puzzled why you would have written me this email. And that gave the guy an opportunity to share why he did it. My friend told me he didn't under, agree with every reason behind why he had done that, but in that moment, he started to understand. In that moment, in fact, he found some places where he actually was able to own up to some of his shortcomings. He said, you're right, you know, I, I did mess that up. And in response, the angry email guy was able to do the same. And this moment that could have sparked a fire that burnt the whole church down became a moment where, where these two became closer to each other. Just being curious led to that compassion that Paul was talking about. See, the spiritual gift of compassion, when you can understand somebody from a gut level, you're able to find unity where division was before. So many of our conflicts in the church, I think, so many of these divisions that grieve the Holy Spirit, I think we could avoid them altogether if we would just approach these situations with a little bit of curiosity. If we tried to understand one another rather than just firing from the hip, rather than reacting, learning where they're coming from and then responding to that. But I know it's easier said than done, right? I, I live in the real world. I've been in these situations before. I know that in those moments, every piece of your sin nature wants to do the opposite, right? You want to go the other way. You want to blast your enemies. You want to do the same damage that they have done to you. And that's why Paul brings the passage home with these last words. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. See, we, we've hurt people with our words, but we have also all been hurt by others' words, right? Some of us already, we have wounds that will never heal in this lifetime. There are some things that have been done to us that are impossible to forgive in our own strength. But we don't have to do it in our own strength. We've spoken a lot in this passage about the words that cause pain and the words that cause death. But Peter, 
when he was speaking to Jesus, he said that Jesus had the words of life. Do you remember that? The gospel is the words of life. See, in the gospel, we see Jesus, who was the perfect picture of this stuff being lived out. I mean, first of all, he was literally the word of God, right? This powerful, creative word of God that creates all things out of nothing. He was the word of God come in the flesh. He was truth incarnate. And yet, on earth, he was despised. He was hated. He was called a liar. He was called a blasphemer. And here's how Peter describes him. He says, he committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. Jesus, the one who had the words of life, took the punishment for your words of death. He went beyond just being kind. He went beyond just being compassionate. He did more than try to understand us. He actually became one of us. And on the cross, he bore the bitterness, the rage and the anger and the slander He died for the unwholesome talk that comes out of our mouths so that you could be forgiven. And that's not actually the end of the good news. It goes even further than that because if you put your faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into your life, then that means that that his power comes into you, that you actually get the words of life. Human words have the power to destroy, but but in Christ, we actually can can give the words of life. We can not just forgive one another, not just forgive the people who have done us harm, but we can tell them about this gospel and, and see our enemies turned into brothers and sisters. We can turn our divisions into an eternal union where we're gonna dwell forever in full delight in the presence of God himself. And so, as we wrap up this morning, I want us to just take a moment and and reflect. I want us to take a moment and consider any relationships that you might have that you've allowed to be torn apart by your words. Where might... Christ be calling you to offer forgiveness today? Is there any area of your life where you are producing that unwholesome fruit that leads to division? Those are big questions, but I want us to take like 15, 20 seconds right now in silence. Consider those things, and then I'm going to close this in prayer.
Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning confessing our sin. We confess that you've entrusted us with a great power. You've given us words that bring life. And we have chosen to ignore them and instead hurt people. We've not lived the lives that we hope to live. And so, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. And we ask for you to transform us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus who has paid the penalty that we owe for these crimes and who welcomes us as if our words were perfect. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who may not know you. I pray that they would experience your welcome. And I pray for all these relationships that that we've just thought through. I don't pretend to know what every person in this room has on their mind, but I ask God that we would experience your power at work in our lives this week. Would you break down walls that have been built for years? Would you show us places where we need to make amends? God, would you heal our homes and our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.